because the Black community has gone through trauma that no other community has experienced. And so we really need to create and develop a system that is that is kind of widespread, that has widespread access to mental health resources. And like currently, I feel that the system offers a very sort of linear approach. And this means that we're more than likely going to encounter gaps whereby individuals are not supported in the ways that are truly specific to their own needs. Welcome to the Mind Your Body Show, where you'll learn how to get your mind right so that your body will follow. I'm Trudy Stone, certified culinary nutritionist, TV guest expert, and author. After self-hacking my mind and body to lose 30 pounds, I now help busy, overwhelmed women use stress as their superpower so that they can rise above it and become more calm, resilient, and physically fit. Each week, not only will you learn nutrition and stress management habits, you'll also learn about the power of food to enhance your mental and physical well-being and how to overcome your battles with living a healthier lifestyle. The secret to eating healthier, improving your mood, and increasing your energy are not only about what you put in your stomach, it's also about what's going on in your brain. So congratulations on showing up. I promise to support you on your health journey with every single episode. Let's begin. Welcome to the Mind Your Body Show. This is culinary nutritionist Trudy Stone, and I am so grateful that you've tuned in today. So at the time of this recording, this is the last week of Black History Month. And so I wanted to take the opportunity to highlight and celebrate powerful Black voices that have been on the podcast. In this special compilation episode, you'll hear from Letitia Emma Diawu, Dr. Ian Smith, Chrissy King, Danny Stone, Kim Niles, and me. So some of the topics we discuss are racism in the food industry, racism in the wellness industry, the importance of mental health in the Black community, and how COVID-19 is affecting more Blacks than any other group. First up is episode 41, Fitness, Mindset, and Racism in the Wellness Industry with Chrissy King. Chrissy is a fitness coach, writer, speaker, strength coach, and truth teller with a passion for creating a diverse and inclusive wellness industry. When I was chatting with Chrissy, it really felt like I was sitting down having a cup of coffee with a girlfriend. I really value the perspective she brings on racism in the wellness industry and how we can create a more inclusive environment in the wellness space. In this clip, we talk about why it's important for people of color to see themselves represented in the fitness spaces and the impact of racism on health. Enjoy this clip from episode 41. And then more so if, if all the mainstream magazines are showing, and even if you go to the restaurant, right, you see who's on the cover and it's gotten getting better, but you know, a few years back, all you're seeing on the covers of magazines are thin white women. You're like, well, maybe fitness isn't a space for me, or maybe my body type isn't the type of body that belongs in a fitness space, or maybe I don't feel comfortable going into a gym because I don't think he was going to look like me, whether it be based on race or ethnicity or based, <clears throat> based on size, body type, gender. Um, identity and all these things, maybe the gym doesn't feel like a safe space for me. And so when we think about representation, it's so important for people to see themselves represented in fitness spaces because you feel more comfortable going into a space where you know at least someone looks like you or someone that has a similar identity to you. You know, and especially as a Black person, I think when we are talking about like race relations in this country right now, 
going into a space where you have someone at least that looks like you makes yeah. you feel a little bit more comfortable, right? right? You still don't know what to expect when you walk in that space, but then you're like, all right, well, I know that maybe they're used to seeing someone like me, right? Right, right. And hope for the best. And so it's just so important. But then I also think it's equally important for people who are not in the, or who are in the dominant group, right? To see what's possible with people who don't look like them. And so if, if we're going to events and all the speakers are white or the majority of the speakers are white male, what does that say about the organizers that, what do they see about the capabilities of people who don't look like them? And so all these things tie into our own bias and our own implicit bias that we all have. And, and, and I think when it comes to health and fitness, particularly, it is so important for um, all of us, I think, to be talking about, you know, issues of racism and as it pertains to fitness, because racism is a public health issue. And so, so many times the conversation is like, oh, I'm just here to work out. And it's like, sure, you're just here to work out. But as a black woman living in this world, racism has an impact on my health. And if our job as health and wellness practitioners are help people to live their best, healthiest, fullest lives, we can't um, deny part of someone's identity, you know, in the spirit of only being in health and fitness. And so I just think that these are all issues that are very intersectional and that we have to start to look outside of our own identity when we are trying to address health and wellness. That applies for me too. I think about this all the time being a cisgender heterosexual black woman. I'm like, okay, if I walk into a space and I was a transgender person, how would I feel in this space, right? Mm. And so it's always looking outside of ourselves for how we can improve and make things better and make sure people feel represented and seen and respected and celebrated. Next is episode 10, How Intermittent Fasting Works for Weight Loss with Dr. Ian Smith, MD, who was the host of the Emmy Award-winning daytime TV show, The Doctors, and a best-selling author of multiple books. This episode is currently my second most downloaded episode. So make sure to listen to the full episode, especially if you're currently struggling with your weight and want to get your body ready for summer because it is right around the corner. Dr. Ian Smith is someone that I personally credit with helping me with my 30 pound weight loss because I applied a lot of his strategies. And so to see him now become the host of the TV show, The Doctors, as an African-American, it's something that I truly admire. Nighttime eating, which is something that many people struggle with, is well associated with a higher risk of obesity as well as diabetes. And diabetes is a disease that is rampant in the African-American community. So by shutting down your kitchen at night and trying intermittent fasting, you might just reduce your risk of illness. In this clip, we talk about why intermittent fasting works and the benefits it has on your body. Enjoy this clip from episode 10. The reason why intermittent fasting works, one of the reasons is because it's simple energy demand and, and, and power situation. So if fat is a storage form of energy, when your body consumes too much food, thus too much energy, and it doesn't expend that energy. Your, your body's got to do something with that energy. And so your body takes that energy and stores it in the form of fat. When your body is without food energy, your body prefers to have energy from food. But if you don't have any food energy available, then your body will go into your fat stores and release that fat and release it in an energy form that can be used by your body. Mm -hmm. So it's all about fat burning. Intermittent fasting causes fat burning. And so right. the longer you fast, the less available you have food calories, and food energy, the more you need. Your but the critical thing about intermittent fasting is you have to be consistent. You can't change up your feeding and fasting windows every other day. 
and you have to stick to it. If 12 to 8 is your eating window, you have to stick to that. When you start moving it around, going from an 8-hour fast, 10-hour fast, or four-hour fast, whatever it is, your body does not hit the groove, I say. Your body needs to be in a groove. Mm-hmm. Because remember, most people don't understand that burning fat is a very complicated process for the body. And it's very expensive, meaning mm-hmm. it takes a lot of work to actually burn fat. It's just not like, oh, you stick a lighter to it, fat burns. Mm-hmm. It, chemically speaking, uh, from a biochemical standpoint, it's a lot of work. So anyway, uh, you got to stick to your windows. And if okay. you want to change your windows, my suggestion is change every week. Okay. Uh, last thing I want to say about IF is this, that I believe that you're allowed to have some calories during your fasting window. I, I allow 50 calories in my book, Clean and Lean. I allow 50 calories in the form of liquids, only 50 max for the day uh, during your fasting window. I don't think that will break the fast. People who are more hardcore don't do any calories during that fasting window. But I don't think you're doing too much, uh, too much damage by uh, consuming 50 calories. Next is episode 19, Challenging Mental Health Stigma in the Black Community with Martine Lopez. Martine Lopez is a dear friend of mine. She is also a mental health social worker and assistant professor with over 17 years of experience in mental health and has recently expanded her social work practice through starting her own education and training business called The Renewal. The Renewal offers training and education to those interested in expanding their knowledge base related to mental health and wellness. In this clip, we talk about the root of mental health stigma among Black people and why the Black community needs more mental health resources and the importance of the language that we use. This was a really powerful episode. Enjoy this clip from episode 19. Because the Black community has gone through trauma that no other community has experienced. And so we really need to create and develop a system that is that is kind of widespread that has widespread access to mental health resources. And like currently, I feel that the system offers a very sort of linear approach. And this means that we're more than likely going to encounter gaps whereby individuals are not supported in the ways that are truly specific to their own needs. So we really need to think of our system outside of a conventional law and develop more of a what I like to call a holistic approach and create a holistic ecosystem that really provides extensions into those varied levels of mental health. Mm. Can you talk about those varied levels? Ideally, this would, would mean sort of resources and tools that may be sort of gender and culturally specific that would be available to target these specific needs. Okay, got it. So. What do you think it will take on a societal level to start shifting the stigma of mental health in the Black American community, Black Canadian community, because I know here, we're here in Canada, but just in Black you know, mental health on a whole? I think breaking down the stigma within our community can be achieved in multiple ways. I think the first step really is awareness, right? I think that there's still a perpetuation of, of, of kind of misconceptions about mental health and bringing that education and awareness to our community, I think, is a first step. So bringing awareness also to some stigmatizing language, because we tend in our community to use languages like, and I'm sure um, if you are a person of color, you may have heard, oh, that person, them mud. Or no sad, them not right in them head, you know, and those types of terminology. Those are very stigmatizing language, right? And it further perpetuates yes. 
and discourages individuals who have these types of difficulties from engaging and seeking treatment. So we really need to bring awareness to the use of that stigmatizing language. I also feel that education is key to bringing that awareness. So education can take place on a micro level as well as a macro level, whether it be just educating our family members, having those conversations with our children, right? Having those conversations with our spouses about mental illness Mm. and also colleagues within the workplace and sharing maybe some unique challenges that we have as a community in terms of, of mental illness. I also think that we, we need to become more aware of our own attitudes and beliefs towards the Black community to really kind of reduce those implicit biases and those, those negative assumptions that we, that we often go to. So awareness and education, having those conversations, I think is key to the first step, at least, to addressing the stigma on a societal level. Next is episode 27, The Power of Passion and Health and Healing with Danny Stone. Danny, or Coach Stone as he's known by many, is a coach, speaker, author, and entrepreneur, and host of The Grind and Gratitude Show. He's coached hundreds of people, helping them level up their careers, businesses, and lives. Man, this guy really is the true definition of the word thought leader. Danny has the innate ability to really connect and get through to people in a way that I've never seen before. He knows how to ask you the right questions to make you think about how you can go from the passenger seat to the driver's seat in your life. He also coaches me every day because in true transparency, he's also my hubby and he inspires me each and every day. In this clip, we talk about one of the major stressors in people's lives that he sees as a coach, not doing work that you're passionate about. He also shares how to monetize your passion. Enjoy this clip from episode 27. In coaching hundreds of people over the last 15 years, one of the major stressors in people's lives is not doing work that they're passionate about, not doing work that they enjoy, and not feeling valued and appreciated in the work. It takes a a physical and mental toll on people. And so what happens is you may, you know, land a job and you anticipate moving up in the company and maybe that doesn't work out. Or maybe you realize this isn't the the, the work or the job for me. I want to do something more meaningful. But one year passes, three years, five years, seven years, nine years. And now you feel like you're stuck. You feel like you're stuck in this job and you can't get out. And so it starts to eat away at people mentally, physically, spiritually. You know, I used to work in the corporate world and I saw so much sick leave and stress leave because of a job. People were so stressed out over a job that they didn't even want to be at. And so I I saw it. I went to visit people in a hospital because of the stress and anxiety that they had over a job. Right. So and in seeing that, I, I thought like, What is it that holds people back from really like pursuing something that they're passionate about? And a lot of it is they don't think that, you know, they can turn their passion into a job and actually make money. You know, one of the things when I ask people, you know, do you love what you do? Often people say, well, it pays the bills. And I say, well, (laughs) you can actually do something that you actually enjoy that pays the bills as well. You understand that. And so I think one of the things that people have to understand is that 
it's not only a select few people that can actually do something they're passionate about and earn a living. It's not just, you know, that person over there. We all have the ability to do that. But it starts with finding something that you're actually passionate about and then figuring out a way to monetize that. And there's so many ways that you can do that. But I think what happens with us is that we have forgotten how to dream. We've forgotten how to think big. So when you're, you're, you wake up every day, you're going through the motions of going to your job and, or going to school or whatever it is, and you forget to think beyond where you are. You forget to dream bigger, to have bigger goals. And so the door is closed on you actually thinking that you can do something that you're passionate about or even work for an organization that, that treats you better, right? And so that's a shift that we have to make. We have to go from, I often help my coaching clients go from thinking something is impossible to possible to doing it. And those are the phases that we all have to go through if we want to kind of step into to doing something that we're actually passionate about. Next is episode 17, The Black Woman and the Stigma Around Fitness with Kim Niles. Kim Niles is a vivacious leader, magnetic mentor, and a fitness expert as seen on City TV, CP24, CTV News, Breakfast Television, Women's Health Magazine, and more. Kim takes a holistic approach that connects your mind and your body, resulting in a wholesome outcome. I could have talked to Kim for hours because her personality and her smile, if you've seen her on Instagram, is infectious. And her voice is so powerful in getting people to take action. In this clip, we talk about the barriers that Black women face when working out. Enjoy this clip from episode 17. So, Kim, what barriers do Black women specifically face in training? I think the first one is lack of education. Right. With, with that's the first thing, the barriers they face is that, you know, you start, if you get into, I always tell people this, would you get into a car and just start driving the car? I don't know. Especially if it was like a, a Lamborghini. <laughs> but you wouldn't get into a car and start driving it without getting instructions. Right. Totally. Right. Um, I was, I would ask a client, you know, what job do you do? They'd say, I'm a nurse. I couldn't show up to do your job. Right. Or being trained how to do your job. Right. Right. So that's the first thing that happens. I find is that people lack education as to what to do. Mm -hmm. Now, I always say, obviously it costs money, but what doesn't cost money? It's an investment. Right. It's an investment to learn, you know, about your body, to get your body assessed. Everybody, everybody's body is experiencing different things. How you live daily, your body can be, you can have tight hips, you can have roll kyphosis sh- in your shoulders, which is rolling of the shoulders. You can have tight ankles. You could have, your hips could be shaped differently because of um, a hereditary reason. Like there's all sorts of reasons why your body's going to move different than the person's body that you're seeing on Instagram, for example, that is doing an exercise and you're like, oh, that looks cool. I want to do that, but maybe that's not for you. So right. I would say the, what, the first barriers is you, know, you need to get the education and, and education doesn't have to cost you tons and tons of money, but at least seek a professional to have a full assessment. So that way, you know that you're on the right track. And if there's any problems that's happening with the body at that moment, what you do is you get someone to tell you what it is so you can start to rehab that. 
So education is one barrier that Black women faces when it comes to training. Are there any others that you potentially see as barriers? I'll tell you one that, I mean, I know every every Black woman is going to agree with me on this one. You see this fuzzy stuff right here? Oh, give me the dish. Give me the dish. And you're going to, I'm going to tell you a funny story about this afterwards, but you go first. You go first. So <laughs> I am going to mess up my hair. I understand it. And it might just be a shift in when you train. So mm-hmm. maybe if you're like, you know, some people are morning people and they want to train at 6 a.m. And right. that's okay. But then if you work at eight, that might not work. If you have short, straight, pixie haircut, like that might be a really cha- a big challenge for you. But right. I'm sure that there's ways that, you know, for me, I always tell people, well, then change the time you work out. Mm-hmm. You know, is have you investigated other wraps or stuff you can do to keep your hair in line? Because we naturally have kinky hair, just like you. You have like curly, naturally yeah. curly hair. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, sweat hits that and things go sideways. Yep. So yep. that is a barrier. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe it's a barrier that would stop you. You just have to really sit down with yourself and say, okay, or with your stylist and say, what are my options? Chicken, again, tired of eating the same thing? Do you hate meal planning? Do you wish you could plan healthy meals faster and less time? Get instant access to my ultimate meal planning toolkit for healthy eating success. In the free toolkit, you'll receive meal planning best practices and hacks so that you can stop feeling stuck. A meal planning template to keep you organized, a list of the healthiest foods to help you meet your health goals, and healthy recipes so that you can take back control of your health and get into the habit of planning meals more consistently. You can grab the free guide by clicking on the link in the show notes or by heading to trudyestone.com forward slash meal prep. Next is episode 16, Black Health Matters 2, Racism in the Food System with Letitia Amadiaou. She is the director of the Black Creek Community Farm, an eight-acre urban farm in Toronto, Canada, where she engages residents, allies, and other stakeholders in struggles for community improvement and social economic justice. If you haven't heard the whole episode, it really was powerful. So make sure that you go back and listen to it. In this clip, we talk about food deserts and how where you live and the type of income you have has a direct impact on your health and your overall well-being. Enjoy this clip from episode 16. So we've also heard the terms food desert and food swamps. So can you explain what each one of those things are and the effects of each in the Black community? So for me, the term I like to use is food apartheid. Food desert make it seem like it's a natural occurrence. Mm. It's no one's fault. No one has any role to play. It has nothing to do with the systemic racism or has nothing to do with the way that governments kind of design our neighborhoods. Um, food apartheid, one of the things that I like about it, it, it stops you. It actually makes you think, oh, isn't that a term that's used mostly when it comes to South Africa? Well, literally it is. Why is it that we have racialized communities, dominantly Black neighborhoods that do not have access to food? And then when you go to other neighborhood that is dominantly upper class, um, dominantly white neighborhoods, they have a different access to food and they have that choice to choose between organic, whether their bread was made with spring water or whatever other sort of elitist way that people kind of look at their food. And in other neighborhoods, we don't have the same. So I think um, 
if I understand your question correctly, I think around food desert is really understanding that is very much around race and class um, and is very divided on racial lines. Right. And then food swamps would, you know, kind of be, and I think you had mentioned this in an article that I read that you, where you gave a recent interview, but you talked about, I think it was a Jane and Finch community here in Toronto and the fact that there are so many fast food, um, you know, restaurants in that area, but no access to fresh food. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about, you know, what these food swamps look like and how that affects the black community. Yeah. So, um, and I think I touched on it a little bit as well. So like, I could go and I could get a meal, like, you know, some very greasy fried rice, some greasy uh, fried chicken for $3. Yes, it will fill my tummy, but it's not healthy for me overall. It doesn't mean that I don't care about my health and I don't want to live healthy, right? It has a lot to do with what are the type of jobs that I have access to? What type of income do I have? What is my rent? Um, I mentioned this in a, in a recent interview around the fact that some of our seniors, some of our aunties are literally choosing between whether they buy that medication, buy that food, or they pay their rent. That's sort of what people have to deal with. It doesn't mean that we need more education and that people need to be taught how to, because I can guarantee you when we have cooking um, at the farm and people are using fresh vegetables, our aunties know how to eat healthy. Actually, I feel like they they have it all down pat in terms of what they should eat and what they shouldn't eat. But when someone has to choose between paying rent, buying that medication, or or buying healthy foods, you know where the choices are going to be. And these choices are also having a huge impact on the overall health. Finally, we have episode 31. Why are more Black Americans dying of COVID-19 with myself. And I wanted to end off on this snippet because of the current environment that we're in. There are some alarming trends from Canada, the United States, and the United Kingdom that indicate that Black and other racialized populations experience disproportionately higher negative outcomes related to COVID-19 than non-racialized populations. In this clip, we talk about some things that you may want to consider that may help to protect you against viruses and support your immune system. Now, this is not medical advice, so please consult with your doctor before making any of these changes. Enjoy this clip from episode 31. It's not a cure, but get more vitamin D. Most Blacks are low in vitamin D, and vitamin D helps with immune health and respiratory health. Blacks are naturally deficient because of the melanin in our skin, and melanin blocks out vitamin D because, of course, the best source of vitamin D is the sun. Now, vitamin D may not be, you know, the be all and end all, but every little bit you can do helps. Now, as we know, as I mentioned earlier, the sun is the best source of vitamin D, and it can also be a little bit difficult to get through food. That's why you might want to consider taking a supplement. So some food sources include um, salmon, cod liver oil, egg yolk, mushrooms, and dairy. So first of all, get checked. Get a full blood work done to get your numbers across the board. And from there, based on your doctor's recommendation, you may want to consider adding a supplement. So disclaimer here, to be clear, I am not saying, I am not saying that vitamin D will prevent you from contracting COVID or that vitamin D will cure COVID. So please consult with your physician before starting any supplements. Eat more 
anti-inflammatory foods. And I talked about this a little bit earlier, but we want to be eating more foods like dark leafy greens. And I know I talk about the the, um, importance of purchasing organic dark leafy greens. Look, if finances are a factor, I just want you to eat the leafy greens, okay? It doesn't matter if they're organic, just eat the leafy greens and get them in somehow. I'm talking the kale, the spinach, collards, things like that. You know, that's another thing with the black community. There's There are some foods or there's a belief that black people, you know, our cultural foods are actually unhealthy when they're not, okay? Collards is one of the healthiest foods that you can eat and offers our body so many different nutrients and phytonutrients. I'm going to talk about phytonutrients in a second. But, you know, there is this belief that culturally black food is unhealthy, and that's not always the case. There are certain staples that are part of you know, our, our food system or our food, I should say, um, that are actually good for us and that, that that do offer our body lots of different benefits and nutrients. OK, so I talked about dark leafy greens. I talked about omega three fatty acids. Um, so you can either you could take a fish oil supplement or you can eat things like, you know, chia seeds if you can get them, you know, walnuts, if you can get them. I know those things might be a little bit more. Um, expensive if you know price is a consideration so just really do what you can within your budget okay you don't have to eat all of these things okay but do what you can within your budget there you have it some of the best clips from some of the most powerful black voices i've been fortunate enough to have on the mind your body show if any of these sparked your attention and if you haven't checked out the full episode be sure to go back and take a listen i'll have all of these linked up in the show notes for you so that you can check them out Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mind Your Body Show. I hope that you learned something new to help you transform your life and your body. For more after the show, make sure to head over to TrudyEStone.com. That's where you'll find all of the show notes. Also, make sure to head over to iTunes to subscribe and leave us a rating to let us know what you thought about the episode. And remember, get your mind right and your body will follow. Thanks for tuning in.